last few weeks, Pastor Noke kicked the series off for us with uh, looking at life groups and why that's an important way to make connection. And we want to, we've seen uh, some new people sign up for that. We're really encouraged. And then Pastor Stan talked to us about families and why families' relationships can be hard. We're all born into a family, and we have surrogate families that we uh, can benefit from. Today, we're going to talk about uh, different You can catch those on our channels if you haven't seen those. Guys, the channels are there, so you can look those up if you want to catch up on those things and, or past series that we've done. Today, I've got a picture for you. How many knows what this picture is from? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty common. Well done. Well, um, this series, Friends, a little bit about it. It started in 1994. It was a show about six friends in their 20s, 20-somethings that moved to New York, and they were starting life together. It only ran for 10 seasons. It got a little bit of criticism in the beginning, because if you look at the beginning ones, it's not very good. And they said it's a Seinfeld wannabe. Uh, but it had this huge cultural impact around the world. And the reason for that is because people were really drawn to this idea of friends, having friends and friendship, and what they saw modeled in this TV show which wasn't very realistic, I might say, but it had this huge impact. It, it changed the way women had their hair cut. It, it changed some catchphrases. Anybody have a Rachel? I think I probably did at some point in time. Uh, it's like the only thing they could cut. Um, and then Friends-themed cafes sprung up around the world, especially in India and Pakistan, and, so, and it was franchised, actually. So it, it had this impact even after just 10 seasons. And people still watch it today. In fact, in preparation for this series, Stan and I, I made him watch a couple of the very first, the pilot episode and a couple more episodes just so I can get my head around. Because when it came out, uh, I, was, I was on my third child and a young married, and I couldn't relate much to this lifestyle. But you know what, the, uh, it actually, uh, they had a reunion last, special last year because people were so drawn in, they wanted to see, well, where are the friends 25 years later, or 20, it was more than that, actually. But with that, um, let me ask you, do, do we have any, like, big Friends fans in the room? Let me see your hands. If you're on chat, let me see. Um, tell me who, who, you tell your neighbor, type it in the chat, who is uh, your best who did you rate light to most? Which character were you on Friends? So tell somebody next to you. Hopefully we don't have too many Chandlers. Wasn't he the bad one? I don't know. <laughs> um, we could use a few Phoebes maybe. But you know, about this, this, this friendship thing, it got some criticisms in recent years. Do you know why? Now look at this picture. Look at this picture. Notice any difference? Shout it out. Type it in the chat. What difference do you notice between those two pictures? Yeah, where's the diversity in that, that sitcom? There wasn't a lot, and that, they got criticized for that in later years. Um, and why is that important? Why is diversity important? I'm gonna tell you why I think diversity is important. Um, the the really reality is, in healthy relationships, healthy relationships rely on diversity, and we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna talk about what makes healthy friendships or healthy relationships. So. Diversity, the reason diversity is important, and that diversity, by that I mean multi-generational, multicultural, and differing beliefs. Um, we don't have to believe exactly the same, same exact way uh, to be friends with people. It's good to have some challenge. Socioeconomic factors um, can come into play, and it creates a better space of learning and growing. 
And so when we think about that, when we have closed groups that don't have that diversity, and I love looking across Werribee because we have a great deal of diversity, what happens is that it creates this, this mentality of an in and out or an us and them, which is not a very helpful thing. And it breeds things like gossip and uh, racism, overblown views, whether they be social, socio-political views, or um, it can be even religious views get overblown. And then it can cause this uh, competitive atmosphere. The word frenemies can come out of this kind of a grouping because, you know, you're together, you're the same, it's not, you're not thinking outside of the box and not being challenged in a good way, and so this, this rivalry develops, and they can actually become toxic. But we want to talk about healthy friendships and healthy relational dynamics and why it's so important to our wellness. So I thought about talking about friendship would be easy. So when we talked about planning this series, I thought, oh yeah, friendship, I can do that one. Oh my goodness, it was way harder than I thought. So... <laughs> The reason for that is I began to evaluate my own friendships and thinking about them through the years. And you know, some of them have been lasting and some of them have been lost. And, and some of that wasn't by anything that was negative or unhealthy. Sometimes it's just moving away to a new place. Friendships kind of fall, fall by the way, wayside until new friendships can be developed. Uh, we saw a lot of our close friends, Stan and I, as couples get divorced. And that always makes it complicated. And uh, then you know, I've had some good close friends die way before their time. And so that, that's always a, a sad thing. And then um, I do have a group of old friends. Most of them are back in the States. Uh, I've got one really good old friend, a couple good old friends here. But um, when we were back in the States earlier this year, I caught up with a couple people um, that one of them we hadn't seen in 20 years. And it was like no time had passed. That's a good friendship for you. And so, you know, I thought about those things. Of course, it made me sad and walked down memory lane. And then I thought, well, what about my virtual relationships? And I can tell you, I looked at, I don't do Facebook, right? So when I looked on Facebook and I saw that I have 759 friends left, <laughs> some of that's family, and I'm thinking, I don't know 759 people that I would consider in my friendship circle, probably, um, and how did they get there, I don't know. Uh, Stan was sad a little while ago because he lost his Facebook and it wiped, because we had this competition going on, just who has more Facebook friends, and he was winning, and then he lost his Facebook, so I'm winning now, so. Um, but you know what, I, I don't really do Facebook, and so what I find myself doing is like if I have a few minutes and I'm bored, I'll scroll down Facebook and to see if I recognize the people who come across my feed to see if I really know them. <laughs> so that's a little game you can play to see if you need to call your friend uh, Facebook list. But as I thought about that, I don't really think virtual, I, you can't really call a virtual friend when you have a need. So that's not very helpful. I also examined other people's friendships that I know. Uh, we were at a long funeral. It was the longest funeral I've ever been at recently. And as part of this funeral, the eulogizing, a group of three friends got up and shared their sadness at the death of their friend that they were going to miss greatly. And uh, after this funeral, I was talking with someone that I went with, and it sparked this conversation between us, one about how long the funeral was, but also about, you know, what was up with that, you know, this group of friends and... Uh, the person said, you know, I just don't understand why you need friends when you have family or a partner because who has time? And, and I thought, well, I didn't know what to say because it really kind of caught me off guard because it's like we all assume, yeah, friendship's important, um, but it is something we have to make time for. You know, I thought about the example my parents set. They still have lifelong friends today that they've been friends with since I was, before, you know, such a, a little kid. 
Uh, I'm not sure how those friendships formed. Sometimes it was neighbors. My parents tended to be very neighborly. Some of it was church friends that they had met. But they've set a really good example of friendship before me. I always remember having friends, my parents having friends into our home. And then uh, people that I know who have really struggled to make or maintain friendships. I've seen them go through cycles of just deep grief over friendships lost. And sometimes you think, well, there's a common denominator here, which is a hard thing, but it's a real thing. Because what happens is we bring our unhealthiness into our relationships and it breaks our relationships down. So if that's a pattern in your life, we do need to look inside and see, well, what, what is unhealthy about me that I need to be working on? We all have issues, can I just say that? I have issues that I need to work on. Yeah, my husband will tell you what they are. And I can tell you some of his. But we need to uh, work on these things because, you know, if we want healthy relationships, we have to be healthy people. So um, I hope that that's helpful. But, you know, I thought what I see happening in people that, that have these unhealthy relationships that break down often is that they may turn to animals. Because who's the man's best friend? Or woman? Dogs, right? Dog is man's best friend. I looked that up and I thought, where did that come from? I'm not gonna bore you with where it came from because this is already gonna be long and I'm gonna have to hurry. <laughs> but the, uh, I wanna tell you something. Dogs haven't always been man's best friend. It didn't change until the year 1869. Do you know what happened in the year 1869? Before 1869, dogs were some, sometimes domesticated by the more wealthy, but for the most part, they were utilitarian, they were working, or uh, they were used you know, in that kind of a sense. They didn't become man's best friend until 1869, which is when the rabies vaccine was developed. So there's a little trivia for you. Um, dogs were deadly before that, so you had to be careful with them. Uh, but I've always been, see that, I, I say that, and as I say that, I'm realizing uh, I had to get a rabies vaccination to go uh, visit one of our mission fields a few years ago, and it's hard to source here in Australia because rabies has been annihilated or, or they've gotten rid of it here in Australia, so it's... Eradicated, thank you. <laughs> Eradicated here in Australia. Um, so it, it may not have, but still in some countries, it's a real threat, um, the threat of rabies. So I've always been drawn, to, uh, I personally have always been drawn to the field of sociology. I find people fascinating in people groups. And sociology looks at how people interact with each other and what forms relationships and relational groups. And so in that, um, I was doing some looking in sociology. And sociology looks at the complexity of relationships. And so I saw some really complex diagrams and things like that. And I thought, oh, do I put those in? No, we don't have time to talk about it. But it did help me understand uh, that friendship was one of those things that sociology has studied, and it could be a helpful place for us to start. So even if you're not a believer of God or Jesus yet, you're still trying to check that out, there's something here for you today, I hope, so you can understand this healthiness of friendship. But relational connection, what sociologists look at as relational con connection or attachment is what they see to be a fundamental human need. Now, we as Christians know that God created us for relationship. That's why we talk about it so much here in church. But sociologists study this, and they say, well, you know, we see that it's fundamental, a fundamental human need that begins in infancy, and that's why um, bonding, baby bonding and attachment is such an important thing with their caretakers. It's, it's considered a survivalist instinct. And then it expands in childhood. And remember how I said sociology is really complex? Well, I don't know Louie, but I love Louie's simple diagram. Children see relationships this way. I'm in the middle. People who love me are my close people. The people who like me are my friends. And then the people that are paid to take care of me are the other people in my life. Very simple. 
Um, friendship changes, though. In childhood, it's about shared spaces generally, so that's why we do things like play groups or play dates. And my, my, one of my sons would go, we would go to fast food restaurant that had the playground. He would play and he would come back and say, oh, I made a friend in the 20 minutes he was there. So kids have a, this real low threshold of friendship. It changes in adolescence. And in adolescence, um, we know that there's an identity formation that happens in adolescence that uh, is really comes from peer group interaction. And this peer group interaction helps uh, Adolescents try new identities to figure out who they are, who they're going to be. It can be positive or negative, and uh, it's where they learn those skills that they need for life in building things like uh, giving and sharing, being supportive, or reciprocity, the idea of reciprocity. And then um, as they move out of adolescence, uh, we move into adulthood. And adulthood friendships look more like uh, companionship and affection, emotional support. And it can be differentiated or broken up by things like uh, work and career. You have your work friends, you have your sport friends, and you just different kind of groups that you get involved in as an adult and life is settling. Um, older adults, as we move into older adulthood, our older adults find a lot of uh, support uh, in social structures, because by that stage, their careers are, are kind of coming to an end, their family responsibilities are coming to an end, and they have more time for this social gathering and social grouping, so we see that as in older adulthood. And then I um, just want to point out that friendship looks different from culture to culture. So what looks what con is considered friendship and okay and friendship in one culture may be quite different in another culture. So that makes cross-cultural friendships challenging sometimes. But one thing that holds true across all these segments, a large body of research shows the link that it's really, friendship is really closely linked to our health and our well-being as people. So it's important. So the person that asked me that question, that's the answer. Sociologists say it's important. God says it's important. Friendship's important. Um, but you know what they don't know is why? I mean, they know some of the, the reasons that it is, but the precise reason um, that it's linked to our health, they don't fully understand. Um, what they do see is they see the negative construct, which is a lack of friendship leads to things like loneliness, a lack of social support, uh, which links, is linked actually to heart disease, viruses, um, infections, cancers, and uh, mortality rates go up in people that, people that don't have a friendship group. So we know that it's important. So what does it look like? Well, Social exchange theory, and I know this is going to get really technical here for about two seconds, um, says this, both parties in a social exchange take responsibility for each other. And they learn to depend on each other. And this includes a cost and reward, um, a cost and reward exchange, if you will. That's uh, why it's an exchange theory. So it's give and take. And we know that when relationships get unbalanced in this give and take, that things can um, go, go south. But you can look at it this way. Relational worth, the worth of a relationship, it kind of is a, it's a rewards minus cost. So it's going to cost you something to be in a relationship. As long as the rewards um, outweigh the cost, then there's relational worth. Okay? So I know some of you probably have had needy friends in the past. That's when relationships get unbalanced, and it's like it's all a one-way thing. It's not a give and take. But we do know that relationships, um, with this balance or equity theory, there's four assumptions that are made. And I'm just going to read these off quickly for you. Relationships are not one-dimensional, but consist of highs and lows. 
So it's a give and take now. You give now, you take later, that kind of thing. Uh, change is a key element in relational life. As our lives change, our relationships have to change as well, which just makes common sense. And then contradictions between opposites never go away because the reality is two people coming together are different. We're different, so we're gonna have some places where we rub and where sparks fly. And then um, communication is the, the key essential element of making, making that okay. So it's when, when things, where these pressures build up and their differences make things tough, we, um, we see the need for uh, communication to work through it. And the reality is you get out of a relationship what you're willing to put into it. So as I looked into this, and I know you're thinking, where's the Bible, Deanna? You're, we're in church, where's the Bible? It's coming. Um, because I wanted to look at this first, because there's something here for everybody. And then we're gonna look at some biblical examples of why, um, what God's word has to say for us in that. It trumps sociology, that's why I started with the sociology. Um, but as I was researching all of this, I ran across a lot of different material, and one particular person stood out to me. It's a sociological researcher named Brene Brown. Have any of you run across Brene Brown's work? Yes, yeah, some of you have. And it wasn't new to me, but it was a good reminder. In 2010, Brene Brown, she was this clinical sociological researcher, and she did a TED Talk in 2010, 2010, yep. And it has been viewed over 59 million times. Think about that. That's a lot of hits, this TED Talk. And the topic of the talk was the power of vulnerability. It was born out of the research that she'd done. She was studying human connection, and she defined it as our ability to empathize, uh, belong, and love. And what she discovered was this thing that separate healthy relationships from unhealthy relationships. And it divided people into two groups. And this thing unravels connection and, and it produces shame and fear and the fear of disconnection. And the disconnection is fostered actually by I'm not enough. So remember I talked about healthy people form healthy relationships. Some of that unhealthiness is that sense of a lack of self-worth or a lack of worth that says I'm not enough. I'm not rich enough, I'm not young enough, I'm not old enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not okay. That's what Brene Brown discovered. And in this underlying sense of worth, worthlessness, it keeps us from letting people see the real me. And it puts this barrier because we're, we're so afraid of people seeing who we really are. She found that a segment of people who had a strong sense of love and belonging and worthiness had four things in common. They had courage. They had courage to be imperfect, to admit when they, that they're not perfect and they got things wrong sometimes. So they had that courage. They had compassion. They had to be kind to themselves before they could be kind to others. And then they had connection, which was a result of authenticity, where they could you know, be themselves, let their hair down, which came with a willingness to let go of who they thought they should be. And then they embraced vulnerability, which is what made them beautiful. Vulnerability is that thing that scares us to death because we don't want people to see the real us. Real relationships have to risk being vulnerable. And when we think about vulnerability, at its core is fear and shame and this low sense of worth, if you only knew me, like I really am. The beautiful thing is vulnerability also is the birthplace of things like create joy, creativity, belonging, and care. It's such an important thing, this vulnerability. 
And you know what? This is my thought. Praise God that he knows us. He knew us before. He formed us in the womb. He knows us. He sees us in our darkest of times, and he loves us anyway. We can risk being vulnerable because we know we have a God who loves and accepts us just as we are because he made us who we are. You are valuable and important. Let me just, if nobody else has ever told you that in your life, let me tell you that because you have been made in the image of God, our creator, and he loves you just the way you are. You can risk letting other people love you. So what can we learn about friendship from God's word? A biblical example, when I think of principles in the Bible, about friendship, I was always raised by um, the mantra, to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. To have friends, you must show yourself friendly. The Bible verse that that comes from is a man or a person that has friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Sticketh closer than a brother. This is the old King James. When I looked this up in other versions, it reads like this. There is a friend, quotation marks, who destroys each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Different con- context, because I was always thought, oh, I don't have friends because I'm not being friendly enough. Not true, the reality is that uh, real friends stick closer to brothers. There's a word called frenemies, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but it's that meshing of friends and enemies, uh, that rivalous uh, friendship, those aren't healthy friendships. Um, Real friends stick closer than brothers. So reflecting further, I realized that maybe the golden rule was a better place to start. We've all heard the golden rule. Do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Remember that series we did before, 10 Rules to Live By? We have launched from that into this. And this is what it says. Treat others like you want to be treated. This is the, the, uh, the simplicity of God's law. So for examples of this in scripture, in the book of Acts 9, 36 through 39, we see the account of a woman who embodied this principle. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which is Dorcas in the Greek. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the two believers... But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men, and I emphasize that because often Dorcas was thought of as just being ministered to, ministering to women, but the reality was she ministered to everybody and everybody cared about her. So these two men went to Peter and begged him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. What is our friendship principle here? It's pretty simple. A friend is kind and does things for other people. This embodies the golden rule, and that funeral that I went to for a woman named Nola was just that. People, person after person stood up and talked about how she had made them things and she'd made them a meal and she just made them feel welcome. For me personally, I didn't get to become close friends with Nola, but anytime I visited over at Suburban, Nola would find me and we would have a good chat and we bonded over things like how, um, how much our hearts were grieving for our, son, our wayward sons at that time. And she was just that kind of down-to-earth giving and serving person. And I know we've got some... Dorcas's or some Tabitha's here as well. I think of um, people that make bookmarks and little uh, tokens all year long to give out at Christmas. 
And I know people that just will put themselves out there for others in this place and cook meals and, and just really care for others. That is real friendship. That's a friend is kind and does things for others. It embodies that golden rule. We, we see another example, though. Um, for you blokes, when I think of friendship in the Bible, the first thing that comes to mind is David and Jonathan's relationship. And if you're not a real Bible scholar, you may not be familiar with that whole exchange there, but there was a King Saul. David was his, going to be his successor. There was a love-hate relationship there between David and Saul. But David, or King Saul's son, Jonathan, became close mates with David, and it probably exemplifies what Australian mateship uh, at its core looks like, real mateship. And it says this, David met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David, and Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself, which teaches us another principle that sometimes friendship is simple as you just click as hearts are bonded in friendship. You know you've met people that you just click with instantly. Something about them. And we really don't know why these two click like they did, but we can draw some principles from it. And that a lot of things that bond people together in friendship is a shared experience. Uh, same time, same place. It can be triumph or tragedy. I've seen people bond over, like missionaries are certainly people that they just get each other. They don't have to know each other from a long time ago. They don't even have to serve in the same country. But that mission journey and all its, its uh, peaks and pitfalls just naturally bonds people together quickly. It can happen in immigrant communities because we just, you know, maybe they're from another region of the country that we came from, and that doesn't matter just because you've gone through a similar journey. People, cancer survivors and, and cancer, people that have gone through cancer often bond together through that cancer. So that shared experience of, of triumph or tragedy can bond people together because they journeyed the same or a similar path, but also life stages. And we know that David and Jonathan would have been um, peers uh, they would have been around the same age. So life stage can sometimes bond us together when we hang out with people that have kids the same age as our kids or they're interested in the same things. And that's that common interest thing where we are friends with the people on our footy team or netball team or our crochet group or you name it, you can fill in the blank, uh, that common interest. And for these two guys, it was uh, they were both warriors that fought for the country of Israel. And Jonathan gave David tokens of his friendship he gave him his actual coat off of his back and his gear, which would have identified him as the king's son. And in this, we can see that there's no apparent rivalry. They weren't competitive. Jonathan wasn't competitive or felt, didn't feel threatened by David. So he was able to open up in friendship and love him like a brother. And then there was a trusting, uh, this, the idea, I thought about this as like, think about yourself. Who are you willing to let, let borrow things from you or loan your things to? That's a real test of friendship, isn't it? Because um, we, we value our stuff sometimes more than we value people, and so we, we hold our stuff tight and we won't lend it to people because we don't trust them. But it's that lending of trust as well. If we jump a little bit ahead in uh, 1 Samuel 20, we learn that Saul was trying to kill David, so David was on the run, and he ran straight to his friend, Jonathan, where he spills his guts. It says it this way. David now fled from Naoth in, um, I can't see, uh, Ramah, and found Jonathan. What have I done, he exclaimed, what is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? Jonathan immediately replied, that's not true. 
He protested, you're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It can't be true. It just isn't so. And you know what? Friends, this is what I I took from that. Friends are the people that we run to when life gets messy and we're in trouble. You know, and if you don't have somebody on your speed dial in your brain of who you, like, if life falls apart, who am I going to call? Um... Ghostbusters might not be the helpful ones. You need a friend to call. So um, think about that. Because there's going to be a time in your life when things do get messy and you're going to need somebody to call. That's why friendship's important. There's some stuff I don't understand in this whole exchange. It's because uh, if I, we look back to the sandwich chapter that's uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 19, we know that uh, Saul was actually trying to recruit his servants, and his son Jonathan to assassinate David because David was seen as a threat to the throne. And so David, or Jonathan would have known that this death threat had existed, and this is what he did. He said, why should you, he challenged his father, and he said, why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Promise you, son, I'm not going to kill him. So Jonathan came with that assumption. My dad told me he's not going to kill you, so this can't be true. You, can't, you, you must be mistaken. You know, what I think about this is that the reality is good friends stand up for you when you're not around. You know, I said in unhealthy groups, gossip is a, is a risk, a real um, threat in unhealthy groups. If people are willing to gossip to you, guess what? They're willing to gossip about you. And we have to be worried. But real friends stand up for you when you're not around. They don't get drawn into that, hoping to get some social score points and uh, become, you know, maybe oust you out of your position with one friend so that they can be a better friend and uh, do one-up themselves on the, the social ladder they're climbing. But real friends stand up for you when you're not around. And they warn you when trouble's coming. Jonathan did this repeatedly in David's life. He probably saved David's life more than once and his career because David was slated to be king. And Jonathan wasn't threatened by that. I just want to pause a moment and talk to you about a friendship truth that isn't very popular. In fact, we, we see it, I've seen it burn many friendship bridges. Maybe you've experienced it. I know I have. Uh, But due to our own lack of maturity and insecurities, we can't handle perceived criticism or disagreement or challenge or confrontation of any kind. We just get really threatened by that because of our own insecurities. We often will respond better as people with flattery. You know, we like people that make us feel good about ourselves. And that's not a wrong thing, but it can be a manipulative thing, and it leads to this social ladder climbing that just makes me mad, if I'm just honest. It really irks me when I see it happening because they're friends with you today as, as you, they can get an advantage from you, but uh, a week from now, they're not your friend anymore. And we see this a lot in young people and it just breaks parents' hearts. But it's a part of that um, growing up and maturity process. We shouldn't be seeing it as adults. We shouldn't have manipulative, advantageous for us relationships. If we want real good, healthy friendships and relationships, we need to be honest and vulnerable and do the hard things sometimes and not use people. Do you know what the Bible says about this? It says this, wounds from a sincere friend 
are better than many kisses from an enemy. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Real friends tell you the truth and warn you when trouble is coming. That's real friendship. You know, Stan and I, um, when we were in Young in Ministry, had a couple of friends. They were actually married to each other. We were couple friends. We were in ministry together. They were our mentors. And there came a time in that ministry that Stan had to confront the husband, who was his mentor, and say, hey man, you're getting involved in some stuff that's gonna hurt the church. And, and it was a distraction for him. And he responded to Stan and another friend of ours that confronted him about the same thing. Ah, it's okay if ministry's enough for you. I need all this other stuff because, you know, I'm just so great and wonderful. Uh, I wish that he had listened because basically what happened is he ended up having an affair on his wife. He ran off. He left the church. Everybody was devastated. And uh, he actually is in ministry today. He's a prepper. He's a very interesting man. But he hasn't learned any lessons because he would not make himself vulnerable and allow other people to challenge him in things. But even though Stan was trying to be a good friend and challenge him, good friends challenge you when you're off track. His wife was, is still a good friend of mine today. I've seen her go through some hard things. But she challenged me when I was younger. And we were in a conversation and she said, oh, Deanna, you're really a negative person. And I was like, what? Me? <laughs> She was right. And sometimes we have these blinders on our blind spots that we can't see ourselves. And I appreciate her so much because while it was hard to hear, I needed to hear it. And I needed to take that on board and change some things. But before you go off telling everybody all the things they need to fix, may I just say that it must be in a well-established relationship it must be sincerely motivated by love because you want the best for them. And it is going to require taking a risk because not everybody's ready to hear the truth. So it's gonna take, be willing, you're gonna have to be courageous and take some risk and trust the results to God as he lays it on your heart to confront some people about things. Because it, a real friend really does want what's best for you because they care. There's a lot more to the story of David and Jonathan, but you'll have to read it for yourselves because we are just about out of time. We may be out of time, I don't know. I don't look at the clock, guys, I'm just confessing. Um, I know some of you listening could be hurting because this topic of friendship's really sensitive. Um, I just wanna give you some encouragement. We all struggle in this area, okay? It's not just you. We all struggle. We have seasons of struggling in this area. Sid and I have, have many conversations about how hard friendship is as leaders because it's a lonely road in leadership and it's hard because we don't want to play favorites and things like that. So it makes it hard sometimes. Sorry I'll get a little emotional, but I just want you to know it's hard for all of us. Um, you might make assumptions that, oh, they must be, their Lego must be full. That's a thing we were told once that we don't have room for more friendships because our Lego's full. Um, and that's true sometimes. You can only fit so much into life, but it's hard. Friendships are especially hard if you've been hurt in the past and you don't want to risk being hurt again, so you just close off. But that's not a healthy place to be. You can't stay there. Can I just tell you that? As a friend, you can't stay there. You need to come out of that and be willing to risk again. It's worth it. Pray and ask God to give you that friend that you need or to give your friend the friend that they need I want to encourage you with one other example from Scripture. 
especially you that have been hurt by friendship. Did you know that Jesus is known as a friend of sinners? He was a friend of tax collectors and he got criticized for that. In friendship, he experienced things like rejection. Some people just couldn't be bothered. They didn't want to be friends with Jesus. They still don't today. He experienced betrayal. He was sold by one of his close friends for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed by a kiss on the cheek. That's friendship for you. He, he gets it. Disappointment. He was disappointed because he asked his friends to come with him before his crucifixion and wait with him in the garden and pray with him. And he kept finding them asleep. And he says, can't you stay awake for just an hour and pray with me? I need you right now. So he experienced that disappointment in friendship when friends let you down. He experienced frustration multiple times. And I thought about that. Oh, it, can I say that, that Jesus got frustrated? Because that's an anger thing. And it's like, be angry and sin. Yeah, I can say that. Okay. Because, you know, he kept telling them, man, I've told you guys this. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? They just didn't get it, and he got frustrated by them, I'm sure. He was misunderstood many times. He said, haven't I told you this already? I've already told you guys this. He was judged for his social status. He was, isn't that just Joseph? Uh, Joseph's son, the carpenter, Joseph the carpenter's son, and his lack of education. Who is this guy to teach us? We're the educated ones. And he experienced abandonment when uh, his close friends denied him there at the end, panicked and denied him, and he didn't let it break the relationship. This is what Jesus has to say about friendship. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Remember I said, real friends tell you the truth and warn you when trouble's coming. Jesus did that. He didn't just tell us the truth. He was the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And as the true one, he let us know we had a sin problem, and he loved us enough to warn us of coming judgment. But that wasn't all. He made a way for us to be restored in our relationship with God the Father and with one another says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He loves you just the way you are, and he loves you enough to not let you stay that way. That's real friendship. But for you, what does this mean for you? What do you call, who do you call when you're facing trouble? Are you convinced of the importance of friendship? I hope I've been able to convince you to take a risk. If friendship is a struggle for you, what's holding you back from making that first move? You maybe have to be willing to put yourself out there and become vulnerable. But can I just say, no risk, no reward. If you want the reward of friendship, you're gonna have to risk it. To have friends, you need to be a friend. Are you stuck in the same unhealthy friendship habits? Maybe you're in a group of toxic people and you need to step out of that and find the courage to stand up for what's right when the gossip comes or when whatever happens challenge others care about them enough to let help them grow have that loving heart and of concern for others and then friend if you here today are here today and you haven't met my friend Jesus I would love to introduce you to him he is a friend for life he will never leave you or forsake you when others may run, he knows what it's like to have people let you down. But he will never leave you or nor forsake you. If that's you today and you would like to meet my friend Jesus, we'd invite you up after I pray. 
after the musicians sing, and, and somebody will talk to you and pray for you. Or if you just need prayer in general, we're here for that. We just bow your heads with me, and we'll just thank the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for the love that you have for us. Father, we thank you that you did create us for relationship and that you set the example of what that looks like. Father, we just pray for healing of hearts today, hearts that have been broken in the past. And Father, we pray that you would remind us that you love us just how we are, that we are worthy because you said so. We are made in your image. Father, I pray for healing in those spaces. Father, I pray for those that haven't, found a friend in Jesus, that this might be the day that they begin that friendship. And Father, I pray that you heal broken relationships as well. Father, all things for your glory, make this a healthy place full of healthy people and healthy relationships. Because we love you, because we want to be a shining light to this community, we give all praise, honor, and glory in the name of your dear son, Jesus. Amen.